Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Trash Talk with TK. In this episode, we will talk about the end of the Eagles season. Unfortunately, Eagles losing to the Saints on Sunday in New Orleans. Talk about the game, uh, where it kind of turned, and um, put the season in perspective as a whole. We'll also look at Championship Sunday in the NFL. Uh, Two great championship games this weekend, including a huge one for Andy Reid. We'll talk about that. And I'll also give you my assessment of the Game of Thrones Season 8 trailer that debuted on HBO on Sunday night. Let's go. So here we are, unfortunately, to discuss the end of the Eagles season. The Eagles falling in New Orleans on Sunday, 20 to 14. And I mean, it's a really difficult loss to take. You know, I don't come out of that game believing that the Eagles were a better team than the Saints. I mean, the Saints were clearly over the course of the season, a better all around, better offensively, better defensively. You know, they were the better football team this year, but it's tough considering how the game started, because I I did a show on WIP that morning, uh, the morning of Sunday, uh, talking about that game and just how it needed to go for the Eagles to potentially win, come out on top and advance the NFC Championship game. And that game started exactly according to script. Exactly according to script. That first quarter went exactly how it needed to go for the Eagles to be in a position to beat the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans, which you knew was going to be a tough task. I mean, you knew that eventually the Saints were probably going to find their stride offensively. They're just that good on that side of the ball. And I expected there would be a chance that the Saints would come out rusty. They hadn't played a real game in three weeks. I know teams coming off a bye have a dramatic advantage in the divisional round of the playoffs. I mean, you saw it in the three games prior. Really, none of the other teams coming off a bye were challenged other than the Saints. But the way the Saints play, the way their offense is predicated on rhythm and, you know, getting in that in that rhythm, in that flow, I expected that early on it could take some time for them to find that that flow. And that was the Eagles' best opportunity to jump on top, build a lead, and go on to win that game. And with the first quarter, the first couple series of that game on both sides of the ball could not have gone any better. I mean, everything was going according to plan. Everything was going according to the script. I mean, the Eagles come out, get the interception. I mean, New Orleans tries going up top on the first play. Craven LeBlanc picks it off. Eagles come right down. Touchdown, Jordan Matthews. Boom, you're up 7-0. Then three and out. Come right back down. Score again up 14-0. Then 
And at that point, I didn't feel secure at all. I don't think anybody should have because you knew that New Orleans offense was going to get going. And they did. And, you know, it's just a killer because when the Eagles are up 14-0, they had multiple chances to possibly deliver the knockout blow. And we'll never know, you know, if that if that next blow could have knocked the Saints out, but you felt them teetering. You felt like the Saints were like a prize fighter that, were, that, that was coming out against an opponent that they deemed inferior and that they were dazed. I mean, you could tell. That building, which can get so loud, and we heard how loud it got once the Saints got rolling, and I think that was part of what made things difficult on the Eagles' offense in this game. But it was silent. I mean, it was dead silent when the Eagles were up 14-0 and they forced the strip sack fumble um, that the Saints got back on. At that point, that stadium was silent. And you could see on the Saints' sideline, they were scared. Like, they knew that they were in some trouble at that point. And there were multiple points in the game. And I think really when we look back on this game, we're going to see that everything turned in the period at the end of the first quarter into the early part of the second quarter. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to the Alshon Jeffrey drop at the end of the game, which obviously prevented the Eagles from potentially taking the lead, but that's not where the game was lost. The big turning points in this game were at the end of the first quarter, early in the second quarter. Eagles up 14-0. They get the strip sack. Brandon Graham who has made so many big plays over the last few years. Brandon Graham, who is going to be, you know, really one of the most beloved players in Eagles history, I feel like. Uh, Not only for what he's done on the field, but the type of guy he is off the field. Like, a really likable player who's been here for a long time, considered a bust at the beginning of his career, really uh, blossomed into a productive player and ended up making the biggest defensive play in Eagles history last year, stripping Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. But that strip sack, man, that fumble bounced right into Brandon's arms. And, you know, I'm sure that if he had to do it over again, it's tough to think this way in real time, but I'm sure if Brandon had to do it over again, he probably just would have made sure he he secured that ball and fell on it. Instead, you can tell he is looking to pick it up and run with it And, you know, it's understandable the fact he was on his feet, ball bounced right back up to him, but he tries to grab it and run, and a Saints player comes in and knocks it out. He never secures the ball, as was shown on replay. But I I feel like if his focus had just been to just secure it, fall to the ground, let the offense come on the field, you know that he would have been able to do that. And the Eagles then would have had the ball on the Saints' 30-yard line with a chance to, to go up 17 and maybe 21 nothing, And you feel like if the Eagles had gone up 21 nothing in that spot, that it just may have been too much for New Orleans to overcome. Even with that potent offense, just the flow of the game, just, just the feel of the game, maybe the Saints, you know, kind of collapse in that spot. Down 21 nothing is a lot different than 14 nothing. 21 nothing, the weight of the world falls on your shoulders. And unfortunately, the Saints get it back, they punt. Eagles still with an opportunity to come down and step on the throat. 
They have a little drive going. And then Nick Foles, um, as great as he played early in this game, tries taking a deep shot for Zach Ertz down the sideline. Uh, On replay, man, you can see Ertz had a step or two. If Nick gets that ball out there, it's probably a big play, probably not a touchdown because, you know, Zach Ertz isn't going to outrun Marshawn Lattimore. But I think it gets you down to around the 20-yard line. Instead, just a tick underthrown. Lattimore picks it off, and you could just feel that that was a major momentum shifter in that game. You could feel that that was a major break for the Saints. And even though the Eagles were up 14-0, and it was a deep interception, which really shouldn't have felt that bad at the time, because at the time, you still got to kind of be thinking that you're still fine. You know, okay, 14-0, you take a deep shot, they pick it off, you're fine. But it felt worse than it should have at the time. Because you could tell that interception reinvigorated the Saints. It gave them some momentum. It gave them a big play, which they were in desperate search of. It got that stadium back in the game. And at that point, you kind of had the feeling of, oh, no. You know, here it could come. And then the Eagles, to their credit, defense gets a stop. Then they're ready for the fake punt. But... You know, and Ike Reese said it earlier this week, and I was talking about Ike about this off the air, and I think he was right. Is the Eagles, even though they had the proper personnel on the field in that spot, they they were like ready for that for the fake pump, but they weren't properly prepared. Like even though they had the right personnel on the field, they didn't defend it well. Like you got to know in that spot if New Orleans is going to fake it on a fourth and one, it's more than likely going to be a Taysom Hill run up the middle. He's always their personal protector, so it shouldn't set off huge alarms that he's in the game. He's always going to be on the game. But you could tell watching on TV that they were running a fake punt there. I mean, you could tell. And, you know, on fourth and one, I I doubted that they would try to throw it in that spot. It was going to be Taysom Hill up the middle, and while the Eagles had the right personnel on the field, they weren't properly prepared. I mean, everybody should have been up on the line stacking in the middle on that play, and they weren't. Unfortunately, New Orleans converts. And again, New Orleans, a big drive down the field, end up with a fourth and goal that, hey, to, to their advantage, Rasul Douglas then out of the game, and New Orleans take took advantage. They, they took advantage of uh, Andrew Hawkins on the outside, ran a quick little in with Michael Thomas. Hawkins, you know, you can't crush him for, for following Michael Thomas, who had a huge game. Follows him in, they pump him. Hawkins bites, and then Kirkwood uh, floats right out to the to the corner of the end zone, and Drew Brees has an easy toss for a touchdown. So that was a huge point, and that got the Saints up. Um, that that cut the lead to fourteen to seven, and you know we we know where it goes from here. Saints end up winning twenty to fourteen. Um, Alshon the drop at the end, unfortunate. Uh, I feel bad for him. He's been great all year, has been great for this franchise since he's came here in the limited time he's been here, has made uh, incredible contributions. Obviously, last year in the Super Bowl, last year in the postseason, all the way through, chief among them. So um, disappointing, really disappointing to me. The Maybe the most disappointing thing to me about this game is the way the offense totally shut down after that interception. Like, I really expected coming into this game, and I picked the Eagles to win the game, And the main reason I picked the Eagles to win the game was because I thought the Eagles' offense was going to be able to have success. 
I really did. And when they came out so strong early, I was very confident that the offense was going to be able to move the ball efficiently, that they were going to be able to score points. And it's unfortunate that after that interception, everything kind of went away. Nick started missing some throws. The line broke down a little bit. I think a lot of that can be attributed to Brandon Brooks going out of the game. Uh, Wisniewski's a good player, but when he comes in for a guy as good as Brandon Brooks and and, uh, a spot where you've had Brandon Brooks all year, it's really tough to replace that. And unfortunately, the offense couldn't do anything the rest of the game. Got to give credit to the Saints. Their defense is a lot better than I had thought. They played really well, and sometimes you got to tip your cap. Um, But real quick, something I, I do want to address about all that is the criticism of the defense in Jim Schwartz. And I heard Seth Joyner on the postgame show and the Eagles postgame show on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and it was absurd. I mean, just absurd. Anybody that blames Jim Schwartz for the Eagles losing that game doesn't have a damn clue what they're talking about. Bottom line, I don't care if you played in the league or not. If you think Jim Schwartz is the reason the Eagles lost that game, if you think Jim Schwartz deserves more blame than anybody for the reason the Eagles lost that game, you don't understand modern football. Bottom line. And that doesn't take experience level. That That's common sense. Jim Schwartz is out there playing with Andrew Hawkins, a guy I didn't even know was on the team. With all the injuries that decimated this team this year, the injuries they had in that game, Fletcher Cox missed significant time in that game. Michael Bennett missed time. Rasul Douglas, as I said, missed a, a large part of that game. You're without all these guys defensively. What in the world do you want Jim Schwartz to do against the against Drew Brees? Yeah, they gave up some third and longs. Some of that's on the players. The third and 16 at the beginning of the second half, you know, Michael Thomas is running a hook route about 15 yards down the field. Avante Maddox and Nigel Bradham are right there playing in their zones. That's on them. When you're in your zone and you see there's only one receiver around, Run to the receiver. Take him away. I mean, Jim Schwartz can't, you know, make players do the right things on the field. Sometimes it falls on the players. And the bottom line is the defense, yeah, they're on the field a lot. They did enough. The defense did enough. You hold that offense to 20 points anywhere, let alone that dome. The defense did enough to win this game. This game was lost because the offense didn't didn't score enough points. Bottom line. There were multiple opportunities where the defense did get stops. I look at the end of the second quarter. About three minutes left in the second quarter. Right after the Saints had scored to make it 14-7. The Eagles have a a possession. They don't do anything. Punt it back. Then the defense gets a stop. The defense gets a stop. They have a great opportunity. The fact they're getting the ball at halftime to get some quick points before the half. Then get the ball after the half. The offense couldn't move the ball. They punted the ball back. And New Orleans ends up getting three. Those three points are on the offense. The offense could have driven down. The offense has to stay on the field sometimes. Coming out of half, offense doesn't do anything. Anything. Then New Orleans has the long 11-minute drive to go up 17-14. At that point, your offense needs a drive. Needs a drive desperately to give your defense a break. And they can't do it. And I don't know what more you could ask of that defense. I really don't. And the idea that anybody would blame Jim Schwartz and the defense for that loss is patently absurd. And it really makes me question your credibility as an analyst and your credibility as just somebody who thinks they know football. 
if you're going to blame Jim Schwartz for that game. The offense didn't score enough points. It happens. And yeah, is this going to go down as one of the worst losses in Eagles history? No. The Eagles weren't as good a team as the Saints. It hurts because you get to this point, you know, you want to be able to to finish the job. I mean, you don't get these opportunities that often, but I give this team a ton of credit. I really do. The job Doug Peterson did, I think he did a better coaching job this year than he did last year. The fact that this team was 4-6 and six after the blowout loss to the Saints, 6-7 and seven after the loss in Dallas, the fact that this team even got to the playoffs, got to the second round, was the only team, road team, that put up a fight this week. I give them a ton of credit. And the job over the past three years that Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, and Joe Douglas have done cleaning up the mess that, that Chip Kelly, you know, dealt us, dealt this team, has been nothing short of remarkable. It's been nothing short of remarkable. The, the things these, this team has accomplished over the last three years, you know, um, drafting Carson Wentz, having a good first year under Doug, winning the Super Bowl with Nick Foles in the second year and getting the second round of the playoffs this year, uh, despite all the injuries, despite all the troubles again. It's been a tremendous feat. And I have no doubt this organization is in tremendous shape for years to come. No doubt in my mind, Carson Wentz is the guy. They confirmed that this week. We all know that. It's time for Nick Foles to move on. I'll say that. Um, I, I don't think there's any way Nick Nick's back as the backup. Nick wants to go play. Nick's earned that right to go play. And, you know, I, I just don't think it would really be a healthy environment at this point for Nick to be here and looking over Carson's shoulder. I feel like Carson would be looking over his shoulder constantly. Um, they've kept Nate Sudfeld around for a reason. And I think they believe Nate Sudfeld can be a good quality backup to Carson. That's the way I'd expect this thing to go next year. And, you know, I give the Eagles a lot of credit for salvaging what looked to be a lost season. And I, I can't wait to see what this team does in the future under Carson Wentz. There are bright days ahead. This is a rough week. Um, I, we all wish they were getting ready to head out to Los Angeles and play the Rams in an NFC championship game uh, because I really think they could have won that game. But unfortunately, not the case. Um, and while it's a tough week, there are definitely bright days ahead for the Philadelphia Eagles organization. We'll talk about um, the offseason, decisions that lie ahead on the next podcast. Uh, but for now, a good season for the Eagles. Um, congratulations on a, on, a, on a salvaged year after, after a rough start. And next up, we'll talk about this week's championship games. Um, in the NFC and AFC. Now, talk about the games this weekend. Uh, despite the Eagles not being involved, it's going to be a great championship Sunday. It really is. And uh, honestly, um, you know, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say these have not been the best four teams in the NFL throughout the course of the season. You know, there really have been, I think. The Chargers, I guess, maybe you could put in that class. But, but in general, maybe the Bears. But in general, these have been the best four teams in the league throughout the course of the year. And you look at the game in the NFC, um, the Rams were, I think, better the first half of the year. Uh, the Rams are a good team, and I was really surprised that so many people were on the Cowboys last week. I didn't get that at all. 
that game went pretty much how I thought it would. Um, I thought the Rams were going to win by a touchdown or more. They're just better. The Cowboys weren't that good. I mean, let's be honest. Cowboys weren't that good. Everybody was jumping on them, but, you know, everybody's made the Sean McVay jokes. And the, the, by the way, those jokes have been already driven into the ground. People know how to beat down, you know, kill a joke really quickly these days um, about anybody who's associated with Sean McVay gets a head coaching job. Yeah, we, we get the joke at this point. But the bottom line is Sean McVay is a really good coach. And that was the reason. I mean, I look at that game. And I'm like, okay, Sean McVay versus Jason Garrett. I'm taking the Rams. I expected the Rams to win that game. Um, and the Rams won that game rather easily. We saw what happened with the Saints and the Eagles this past week. And I'd expect this to be a really good game. I mean, you expect it to be somewhat high scoring. But hey, I mean, the the, Ram, the Saints showed on Sunday. Their defense is a lot better than people thought. I, I really was, as I said earlier, really impressed the way the Saints uh, neutralized the Eagles' offense, um, and their defense is pretty good. I'd expect this to be a game where I think Sean McVay will have some interesting things dialed up because the Rams are going to need to score points, obviously. The earlier meeting between these two teams, 45-35 Saints. I do not expect it to be that high scoring. I would expect a little more defense. I probably expect a game in the mid to high 20s. Mid to high 20s. I just, and I think it's going to be very competitive. I think it's going to be close late. I think this game will not be decided yet with five minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. That's how close I think it's going to be. Um, rooting for the Rams. I think the Saints are a bunch of jerks. I really do. I think Sean, Sean Payton is a total jerk. Uh, Kamara, Ingram. I look at that team, and I think there's a lot of unearned confidence there. An unearned arrogance, I think, is the best term. You know, they're good, but they, they haven't won anything yet. That Super Bowl they won was nine years ago. So I th I think that their, their arrogance is a little unearned at this point, and, and I just find the them to not be a very likable group. I mean, there are guys on the Rams that aren't that likable either. You look at Marcus Peters, who talks a lot. Um, you know, the, the Rams aren't the most likable team either, but I'm rooting for the Rams in this game. Absolutely. I, I do like Sean McVay. I, I have no problem with Jared Goff. I really have no problem with the Rams. I just don't like the Saints. That's why I'm rooting for the Rams in this game. Unfortunately, I just have a lot of trouble believing that the Rams can come out of that win in the Dome with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. I really do. I think the Eagles were the team that... As far as stopping the Saints from reaching the Super Bowl, I think just because the Eagles' playoff experience, the Eagles, the 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 momentum they had going, I think the Eagles had a better chance to knock off the Saints in New Orleans than the Rams do. And even though I think the Rams are going to play it tight, I think the Saints win this game. I'll go like 27-23. You know, I think it's going to be really tight. I think it could come down to a Drew Brees needing a drive in the end or or the Saints needing to stop the Rams at the end of this game. But I think it's going to be a great game. Um, but I'll take the Saints uh, to win and advance on to Super Bowl 53 and represent the NFC. And then at 6.30, this is the game that we are all going to be interested in in Philadelphia. Now, I got to tell you, I cannot wait for this game. I will not be watching this game 
with the same intensity that I'd watch an Eagles championship game, obviously. But I'll tell you at this point, I am rooting so hard. I am rooting so, so, so hard for the Kansas City Chiefs and for Andy Reid to get his Super Bowl. And before I break down the game, I think, you know, I'm not here to lecture people on being fans and what you're supposed to root for as a fan. You know, whatever. You can can cheer for whatever you want. But I have a major issue with Eagles fans, true Eagles fans, who are going into this weekend or at this, and it doesn't matter they're playing the Patriots or not. I don't care who they were playing. I think it is wrong. Bottom line, I think it is wrong for you to be an Eagles fan at this point and to root against Andy Reid on Sunday afternoon. I think it is ridiculous. It is utterly absurd for any Eagles fan to root against Andy Reid at this point after what he did for this organization. Undeniable. The things that Andy Reid did for this organization. Anybody that roots against him, I think you should root for him. If you don't want to root for him, though, whatever. I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But if you're rooting against Andy Reid, I just don't understand. I really don't understand. After the decade plus of service that he gave to this organization, from 2000 through 2010 especially, the golden years of Philadelphia Eagles football, at least up until the last couple. The memories that he gave us. And I I hate when people just point to, oh, they never won a Super Bowl. Yeah, they never won a Super Bowl. But that decade taught this organization what it was to be a perennial winner. Because they never were before. And And this is where, and this is what really bothers me. Because the same people that root against Andy Reid, are this, they're the same people that revere Buddy Ryan. You know what Buddy Ryan was? Buddy Ryan was a loser. Okay? And, you know, I, I, I'm so tired of these people who revere Buddy Ryan as some, some conquering hero who never won a playoff game here, yet point to Andy Reid as a choker because he never won a Super Bowl. Andy Reid, as a coach, runs circles around Buddy Ryan. It's not even comparable. It's not even comparable. It's not even something we should have to mention in the same breath. But the fact that so many uninformed people out there believe Buddy Ryan is anywhere close to the coach Andy Reid is, is beyond me. It really is. And I'm telling you, a lot of these same people are the same people that are going to root against Andy this week. He never said anything in press conferences. That stuff doesn't matter. Andy Reid protected his players. Andy Reid was a tremendous coach. And Andy Reid, don't get it twisted, man. He showed Jeffrey Lurie what a competent winning franchise was supposed to look like. And that is why Jeffrey Lurie, who went out and hired Chip Kelly, realized. Jeffrey Lurie saw what happened after Chip took control at the end of 2014 into 2015. He saw the way that season went. And because of what he saw under Andy Reid and the way he saw under Andy Reid how things are supposed to function in a well-run franchise, he saw what was going on under Chip Kelly and he realized this isn't how it's supposed to look. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to look. This isn't how competent franchises are run. And that's why he decided a day before, a 
before the final game of the season, 2015, I'm done with this now. I'm pulling the plug now. I'm admitting my mistake. I'm cutting Chip Kelly loose. And he went out, consulted with Andy Reid, and Andy Reid again helped this franchise immensely by recommending Doug Peterson. And you see what Doug has done the last few years. But Andy Reid showed us what it was like to be a perennial winner. He showed Jeffrey Lurie what it was like to have a competent coach running a competent franchise. And I don't know how anybody could root against Andy this weekend. I really don't. Now, that being said, I look at this game. Man, it scares the hell out of me for Andy Reid. Andy's got his best team ever. I mean, the 0-4 team here was tremendous. This Kansas City team is better. Patrick Mahomes is... I mean, he's having a better season than I've ever seen a young quarterback have. I thought, and, you know, Carson had a great year in 2017. Mahomes' year this year has been better, and it's not even really close. Mahomes has been incredible, but it scares the daylights out of me as somebody who really wants Andy Reid to win, get to a second Super Bowl, and hopefully win that Super Bowl. Brady and I've said all year, you could see it all year. Andy's season potentially ending in the AFC Championship game, in Arrowhead Stadium, with Brady and Belichick marching in there. And you know exactly how Brady and Belichick are going to play this thing. They are going to look to possess the ball, keep Mahomes off the field, um, and and try to win as low-scoring a game as possible. And I fell into the trap last week, and I don't know how people continue to do this. It's normally against my judgment ever to pick against um, Brady and Belichick in the postseason. I did it in the Super Bowl last year, and that was the one time it's been proven right. But you normally don't pick against these guys. I picked the Chargers last week, and you saw what happened. And now Tom Brady thinks they're being doubted, and that's a dangerous thing. A Tom Brady, you know, there's nothing more dangerous in sports than a motivated Tom Brady. He's always motivated. But when that team gets a little extra motivation, a little extra bulletin board material as underdogs, it's even more scary. And I want Andy to win this game badly. I really do. I'm not I'm not totally ready to make a prediction on this one yet. I'm not. I got to weigh this game more. I'm on the air on Sunday afternoon before both championship games on WIP from 1 to 2. I'll give you my both my predictions then. I already gave you the NFC Championship game, but I'll give you the AFC Championship game then. Not ready to make a prediction on this game yet. But this game does worry me for Andy Reid. Because of the Patriots, because of the opponent, and because of the way they are going to try to win this game, you know, it's 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 a, it's a tough spot for the Chiefs. As of now, I'm honestly leaning Patriots, but I still got to weigh it over the next couple of days. I'll give my prediction on Sunday before the games. Now, before we wrap up the podcast, I got to give a little breakdown of the teaser trailer for Season 8 of Game of Thrones that aired on Sunday night. Now to wrap up here, I want to break down the Season 8 little trailer for Game of Thrones that was aired on Sunday night. I got home after the Eagles game, I was all upset, and that cheered me up a little bit, seeing a little Game of Thrones um, trailer. It's not, obviously, um, a, a, a no footage from this season, just a little... A little something to to wet your beak as it kind of just, I guess, gives some hints of possible things to come. But um, And we'll do a full Game of Thrones podcast 
Uh, next week, we're planning to do it with me, Andrew Porter, Dave Breitmeyer, and Bill Kornfeld. Um, we do our Game of Thrones. We, we did a Facebook Live last year after every episode, every new episode. We're this year converting it to a podcast. So we're doing a little trailer breakdown and a Season 8 preview. That'll be coming your way at some point next week. That'll be on all our individual podcast feeds. So stay tuned for that. But um, quick little personal breakdown of Season 8. So it, it starts off with Jon Snow walking through the crypts of Winterfell. And there's a voice in the background. It is his, it is Lyanna Stark, who, uh, if you need a little refresher, is John's mother. That was revealed at the end of season six. John does not know that yet. She um, was married to Rhaegar Targaryen, who is John's father. John doesn't know any of this yet, but John walking through the crypts of Winterfell and the whisper of you must protect him, which is what she said to Ned Stark um, when she asked Ned to take John and, you know, claim him as his own son. And then a feather hits the ground and John seems to look back and there's a little, you know, a little hint that John senses something. Then Sansa walking down the same pathway. And it shows the statue. These are all the the statues indicate the dead Starks in the crypts of Winterfell. And it's where they're buried. And it has a line from Catelyn, which was at the beginning of season three. That says all the harm that's come to my family is because I couldn't love a motherless child. Again, another another quote about John. As Sons is walking through the crypts, and then Arya Stark walking down the same passageway, and it shows Ned Stark's tomb, Ned's crypt, and it says, "You're not my, you don't have my name, but you have my blood." And that was another thing that Ned said to John way back at the beginning of season one, um, in the episode two when Ned is heading down to King's Landing and John is heading to the wall to join the Night's Watch. Now, all three of those lines uttered were for, were from at some point in the show and are all about John, which makes sense because Jon Snow is the centerpiece of Game of Thrones. You know, there are a lot of important characters, but I've always said the two main characters at the heart of this show are Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. And they linked up at the end of last season. They're now presumably together. They are aunt and nephew. They don't know that yet. They don't know John's a Targaryen yet. But I'm sure they'll find out probably from Bran at some point this season. Now they walk to the end of the passageway. And then they see their own likenesses. Statue of Arya holding a sword. Statue of Sansa and a statue of Jon Snow. The one of Jon Snow looked really old. I'm not sure if that means anything or not. And then you see cold air start to fill the tombs, and it start to ice, and Arya and Jon draw their swords. And I think that that, that obviously is to signify the coming of the Night King to the realm 
The Night King, obviously, at the end of last season, breached the wall with his Ice Dragon, was able to um, use Viserion, who he killed from Daenerys, stole from Daenerys, and is now his dragon. So the Night King is now invading the realm of Westeros. And it's going to be an awesome final season. That teaser was really cool. Uh, it's going to be cool to see all the reunions this year. Ari and John, two characters who haven't seen each other since the very beginning of season one. Um, just so many characters coming back together for the first time in a while. Other characters meeting for the first time. Uh, I'm rewatching right now. I rewatch every it because it, it is the best show of all time. I've had these debates with people over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, best HBO shows. Sopranos is great. The Wire's good, even though I think The Wire's a little overrated, to be honest with you. Uh, but Game of Thrones is the best show of all time, and I rewatch it every every you know time before a new season airs. I'm at the end of season three, and Another reunion that'll be cool will be Tyrion and Sansa. I just got past the episode where they get married, which is pretty funny. That's so long ago, you kind of even forget that they were married at one point. This is such an awkward uh, matching of a couple. But man, this season is going to be so good. I can't wait for Game of Thrones. Um, if you do not watch it and you don't know what I'm talking about, you should watch it. I will not apologize for my Game of Thrones talk. It is the best show on TV. And this season is going to be awesome. That trailer got me pretty pumped up. So that's the quick little Game of Thrones breakdown. We'll have a full breakdown of the trailer and a preview of season eight with the other guys, the WIP Game of Thrones crew next week. That'll do it for Trash Talk with TK. Thank you guys for listening. I'll be on the air on WIP this weekend from one to two in the afternoon on Sunday after Glenn and Ray getting you set for championship Sunday. I'll talk to you guys then. See you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.